Hey, I want to welcome those watching online and church family in the house. Can we just give a big hand for those of church family that are on the other side? Can we welcome them this morning? I just want to look in the camera. Those of you watching online, we'd love and can't wait to have you here in person because as Pastor Josh did say, it's beautiful sitting in the front row and hearing the voices. And I think there's something powerful to that. Well, we are in week three of our series, Move to More, from a believer to a disciple. And a lot of this was birthed out of my heart that over the last year, God just put this holy discontent inside of me, understanding and realizing that um, God is not happy and he doesn't desire shallow Christianity. We're meant to go deeper with Jesus. We're meant to get out on the waters with him, even though it may be scary and risky, but he never told us to stay in the shallow end. We're called to go deeper. And this is what's kind of just been laying on my heart. So this series is looking at qualities that move us from a believer to a true disciple of Jesus. And I hope that this series is challenging I do hope that. I hope you sit back and you squirm just a little bit in your seat. But I hope it's encouraging as well. I hope it's enlightening where you sit there and go, okay, Holy Spirit, where in my life do you just need to do a work on me? Because that area doesn't look like Jesus. I can get better in that area. And I want to take us to our theme verse that the entire message series is based out of. But before I take you there, I want you, to, I want you to be reminded that this is not Jesus' last commandment. Oftentimes we'll look at this verse and think this is the last commandment that Jesus told his, his disciples. Those 12 guys that followed him for three years. This isn't the last one. This is the second to last. Do you actually know what the last commandment Jesus gave his disciples? Wait. He told them in Jerusalem, wait. Why? He said, wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be able to do this. The second to last commandment. Matthew records this. Therefore, go and make what, friends? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is often referred to as the Great Commission. But it's very clear the goal that Jesus gives them and the goal that Jesus gives us. We are to go and make disciples. Now in week one, I kind of unpacked a little bit what an, why the word disciples there and the rabbinic culture during the time of Jesus. And if you missed it, just watch week one. But there's an idea of a disciple is, is always following their rabbi. They are walking close to who their teacher, master, rabbi is. No matter if you've been following Jesus for 24 hours, 24 years, 64 years, there is always a next step for you to look more like Jesus. We are on a journey looking more and more like Jesus. You ought to have waken up today and looking more like Jesus than you were yesterday. Now, I know for some of us, we may sit back and you're like, man, this is for new believers. This isn't for me. I'm already basically arrived. I really look like Jesus. I would applaud you. I'm going to cheer you on. But I'm going to ask permission for a moment. 
can I interview your spouse immediately following the service? <laughs> they may have another opinion. Whether we are 12 years old or 80 years old, there is still room to look more like Jesus. And you are not done until we're six feet under the ground. Then we're done here on earth. God never called us to the shallow end of our faith. God never called us to once you believe in Jesus, stay put, stay stagnant, stay stale. He called us to a vibrant faith. And you know what this world's looking for? This world wants to see your faith. It wants to see it be vibrant and active and alive. It's looking to sit there and go, what is so different about you? Do I really want what you have? So how vibrant is your faith? So we're looking at qualities that move us from a believer to a disciple, looking and living like Jesus more. Week one, I brought this idea that a number one quality is that we are passionately committed to Jesus. We looked at some of the harsh words of Jesus, and it felt harsh, where Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate your mother and father, your brother and sister, even yourself, if you really want to be my disciple. And you look at that and you're like, ah, man, that's, that's strong words, Jesus. But was Jesus really saying, hate your family? Like, mom and dad, I hate you. And your parents are like, oh, that's fine. We know you're just loving Jesus when you say that. That's not what Jesus was trying to get at. The idea was that Jesus is, you are so devoted, so loving to Jesus, that your family looks like they're not even in the race that that gap between first and second to the rest of the world looks like hate in comparison. That's what Jesus was getting at. Disciples of Jesus, oh, we are passionately committed to him. Last week, Pastor Josh brought uh, another quality to the table, and he brought the quality that disciples are just and generous. You know, here's what I want to tell you. You are blessed to be a blessing, Disciples know that. Believers sit there and go, God, keep giving me the blessings and favor. I love it, and we hoard it and keep it. Disciples of Jesus sit there and go, I am blessed to be a blessing. God, as you have given, where can I give out? There's a difference. Pastor Josh landed his plane with this idea that you can either be a reservoir of God's blessings, which means you keep it to yourself and hold it, or you go be a river that flows life to other people. What one are you? This week, I'm going to be fully honest with you. I'm going to bring a third quality to you that will help us move from a believer to a disciple. And remember, we celebrate believers. We get excited when people repent from their sins and turn to God. We celebrate it. God's word says angels in heaven are rejoicing when that happens, and we rejoice as well. But there is more for us. We can't just stay there. We're not called to stay there. We're called to take steps to look more like Jesus in this world. Now, full transparency. I don't like this week. Not one iota. And here's why. This quality is so not me. Some of you in this room, this quality is you through and through. And I pray that God's anointing will be on you even greater because you're so good at it. For others of us, you're going to look like me and sit there and go, man, I don't like this one either, Ryan. I give you permission. My wife's in the service. I give you permission to ask her how bad I stink at it. I don't know if I actually should have given you permission on that, 
But ask her, I'm, I'm bad at this quality. And so it was really tough writing this message this week, looking down at the papers, and I write this statement. I'm like, oh, dear God, I don't like that statement. But it's so true. You know why? Because it was piercing here. My prayer and heart is that today you don't get offended by what I say, but we all get offended by the gospel. We get offended by Jesus' words. But before we jump in, and I'm not going to do too much toe-stepping today, so you can breathe a little bit, did a little more toe-stepping on week one. Um, I'm going to toe-step here and there, but not today. But today's the quality. I think we all need to get it because this is the quality of Jesus. And so before we jump in, I want to pray for us before we jump in. So just bow your head, close your eyes, and let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, would you just gently convict? Would you gently encourage our souls, our spirit, where we don't look like you, where we can get better? And Father, I just pray that you would soften our hearts right now to receive your word, because your word is life-changing. And may we not just sit back and hear your word. May we actually, at the end of this service, leave here transformed and changed and apply your word in our lives. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. I don't know about you, but growing up, I was a big dreamer. Any big dreamers in the room? Like, not like night dreams, but like vision, like a, like a vision for your life. Like, oh, I want to go do this. This is awesome. Any big dreamers? All right. Anyone just like, you're like, no, no vision at all for my life. I just do wake up every day. All right. Some of you are there. I dreamed as a kid that one day I would be in the NBA. You know, my entire room was Michael Jordan growing up. I think I wore his jersey every day to school. I loved Michael Jordan. The posters, I, had, I don't know, remember back in the day, you had like pennants. I had pennants. I had, I had his cards like in little cases on display. I had everything Michael Jordan. You know one thing I never had and I was really mad? I never had Michael Jordan shoes. Never had them. You know what I bought my son? Michael Jordan shoes. Do you know really why? Because I wanted them. <laughs> Not that he wanted them. It's like, yes, they're actually kind of mine. All right. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I grew up realizing, but I'm, I'm, I may be 6'6", but I, can't, I, I can barely jump. Right? There's no way I'm going to make the NBA. And obviously, I'm standing here before you not making the NBA. And then my dreams kind of shifted once I realized that ain't going to work. Um, I remember my senior year in high school. I won an award in my class for, uh, I was the CAD student of something. I don't even remember. And I was really big into CAD. Uh, that, for most of you, it's computer design and stuff like that. And so I was really, my pinpoint, my niche was architect. And I love designing architect. And in fact, you may not know this about me, but you are looking at a state winner, number one, as a senior in high school, I designed my own home, exterior, interior floor plans and everything. It went to the state finals, and number one is I. All right? Thank you. My parents are so happy it's in their basement. All right? I still have it. There it is, but it's in their basement. But I thought I was going to do that. Actually, my big dream then, when I realized I'm not going to make the NBA, was I was thinking, maybe I'm going to own my own architectural firm. 
I mean, I started reading architectural magazines all the time. And I know some of you dudes are like, yeah, man, that's like girly. Like, why aren't you a hunter or something? Sorry, I like fashion and design and that stuff, all right? Some of you grow manly beards. This is all I'm going, all right? That's just what I have. And then I realized I went to college my freshman year and I took business classes. Oh, dear God, save me. (laughs) Accounting was horrible. And then I took business law. Oh, my gosh. Wednesday night for three hours, business law. Dear God, is there anyone who enjoys business law? Not I. (laughs) Three hours. It was painful. Luckily, my, my professor was a lawyer. He was fun. But I'm like, I don't care about all these It was nuanced to me. And then I realized, okay, I'm not going to be a business guy. Nope, not for me. And then I thought in the midst of it, oh, I got an idea. I like science. Maybe I'll go into, like, maybe I'll own my own, like, biomedical research company because I have a disease. Stop laughing. (laughs) I have ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease. And I was thinking, my company will find the cure for my disease. And then I realized, no, I don't like business. Like, I get out of business. That's not what I want to do in life. But it dawned on me, every dream I had was self-centered, was self-focused. Why did I want all those dreams? Because I wanted success. I wanted fame. And to be honest, I wanted to be rich. I dreamed of having a vacation home in the mountains and a home here and there. And then the more I started walking with Jesus and understanding Jesus, Jesus has a different definition of greatness than I did. In fact, if you want to turn, here's where we're going to land this morning. Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, this is uh, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. Now, you look in a lot of the letters in the New Testament, you'll understand these letters are written to groups of churches. So if you're curious, like, I don't know where this church is or where they're writing to, a lot of them end in the I-A-N-S, or just the A-N-S, okay? So, cross off the A-N-S, and Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. You have the book of Ephesians. Cross off the I-A-N-S, he's writing to the church in Ephesus. So you can figure out what community Paul's writing to by just taking off the last couple letters, and that's the city he's writing to. He's writing to the churches. And in this letter, Paul is writing amazing things. He's telling those Christians, listen, you're already filled with strength and power and joy from the Holy Spirit. And by this love, God's love that transforms you, it will change the way you interact with one another, and it will change your definition of greatness. So here we go, Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if any encouragement from being united with Christ, pause there. If you follow Jesus this morning, listen, you are united with him. You are bonded with him. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You may be feeling alone, but he is there with you. You are united and bonded with Jesus. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then, watch this, 
Make my joy complete by being like-minded. Now, remember, who's he talking to? Christians in the church. What is this reminder? Be like-minded. Does that mean, okay, we all have to root for the same team? No. Does that mean we all have to be like-minded? We all have to enjoy tacos? No. Some say yes. Some are like, tacos are disgusting. No. We don't have to have the same mind. What it means is we have our Heavenly Father's mind and the Heavenly Father's perspective. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are unified around that. The same like-minded, having the same love. What is this love? This agape love. It's a love that's unconditional. You know, you and I struggle with unconditional love because we put conditions on our love. If you do this, I'll love you more. If you do this for me or that for me, I'm probably going to love you even greater. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Have the same love. This, this agape, this unconditional love from your heavenly father that no matter what you do and when you turn your back on God, God still loves you. He says, have that love. And being, watch this, one in spirit and of one mind. He said, reminded Unity within the church. Be one. You are brothers and sisters. We are in the family of Christ. And here's the enemy of our soul wants disunity in the church. That's what he wants. Get angry at the church. Do this or that. He wants to find and nitpick in your mind what you can bring in disunity. And we see the heart here. It's all about unity. And then Paul's going to drop the bomb. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know why I don't like this? Because I can be self-centered sometimes. And Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, sits there and reminds us, do nothing out of your self-centeredness. And then Paul writes us the antidote. Paul, if I am self-centered, what do I do? Rather in, what's this one word, friends? Humility. Watch this. Here's the antidote. Humility. Value others above yourselves. I don't like this because sometimes I like it to be about me and it's hard to put others above me Paul says not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of the others you know what Paul knows and what God knows is that selfless service runs counter to our human nature it runs counter to it I mean, you don't have to elbow your neighbor, but you know someone who is self-centered. You know them, don't you? You know someone who's selfish, and it could be you. There are times and moments we probably are, but it runs so counter what God is calling us to than our human flesh nature. My wife will tell you, I love to be served. Men, Maybe you have a chair in your living room or in your den that's yours. Maybe, ladies, you have a chair as well. I have a chair in my living room. 
And when I'm in my chair, I don't want to serve anyone. I'm in my chair. And if my kid wants a cracker and I'm in my chair, you know what I tell my kid? Get your own cracker. I'm in my chair. But you know when I'm in my chair and I want a cracker? I'm asking my wife and my kids, hey, can you get me a cracker? Why? I love to be served. I have a hard time sometimes looking like Jesus with selfless service. So many times it's easy, and maybe you are one this morning too. It's so easy to be self-centered. Or believers stay here and make it about the self and become self-centered. Disciples of Jesus become others-centered. They elevate others above themselves. And that's hard. And what I love about Paul is he doesn't just remind us of this. He gives us an example to follow. And watch verses and listen to verses 5 through 7. He tells us exactly what Jesus did, that you and I are to do the same. He says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as who, friends? What are these two words? Christ Jesus. So in other words, what should be up here is take your self-centeredness, move your mind over here, say thank you Jesus and put it on now. You have to realize you are flesh and spirit. The flesh is what your worldly desires, and we say your earthly desires, your sinful side. It wants to be self-centered, but we are also spirit that connects with Holy Spirit. It's the spiritual side of things that sits here and lives into the mindset of Christ Jesus. And Paul writes, my flesh wants to do this, but my spirit is willing and I want to do this, but my flesh is ruling me. And that's the same with this. Just all of a sudden we sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. I'm self-centered because my flesh is ruling. I should be other-centered where my spirit is ruling. And then he says this about Jesus. Who? Being in very nature God. Jesus was God in flesh. In fact, Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He was the manifestation of God here on earth, fully human, yet fully God. Watch this, being fully God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, time out. I don't know about you, but if I was God and I was Jesus, I'm totally taking advantage of that, right? I'm sitting in my comfy chair telling everyone, serve me. And then I'll do some Jedi mind tricks to say, you will serve me. And get people to serve me. I totally take advantage of it. I take advantage of it in a kickball game against you. Right? Jesus probably could have booted that ball miles. I'm totally booting the ball miles. I want a home run. Right? And kickball. But not Jesus. You know, he was fully God. He did not use it to his advantage. So what did Jesus do? Rather, he made himself nothing. The God of this universe chose to come in flesh and make himself nothing? How did he make himself nothing? By taking the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Here it is. He humbled himself. Humility. By becoming obedient to death, even on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. There is no name but the name of Jesus Christ. There is no name in comparison. It is a beautiful name that even the demons quiver and shudder at. And this church will proclaim the name of Jesus. Amen? There is no other name but the name of Jesus. And watch the result of that. That at, every, at, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our master. He is our King of kings to the glory of God the Father. So beautiful. So beautiful. But get this. And don't lose sight of that. That Jesus was in heaven where the angels sung praises to him. He enjoyed the splendor of glory and chose to come here on earth to be mocked, to be betrayed, to walk in the mess of sin and humanity. The king of kings chose to be born that should have been in a palace, but he chose the stable. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, chose to leave splendor to come and serve you and me. And he humbled himself. And we are to do the same. The third quality of every disciple of Jesus, you have the heart of a servant. I told you it's going to get difficult. Sometimes I look at myself and say, that's not me. Probably far too often I have the heart of one who likes to be served. But I know that's not Jesus. In fact, Jesus' own words, I came to serve, not to be served. Here in the midst of this, get this. I don't know about you, but I would have loved to have been a disciple. One of the 12 guys that got to hung around with Jesus, see him do ministry for three years, do awesome healings, which would have been awesome to see, right? Um, see him teach. That's one thing I'm looking forward to in heaven. I hope Jesus gets to teach still, because I want to see him teach. I want to see him like, yeah. He's probably way more passionate and fiery and spitty than I am. That'd be awesome. I'd be like, yeah. And here we go. But here's what's amazing about the disciples. They had first person, they were right there in the presence of Jesus, and guess what? They still missed it. Jesus is in the Last Supper that we know. It's called the Last Supper. He's in the upper room, and he's having a last meal with these 12 guys. Jesus knows what lies ahead. Jesus knows one of these 12, by the name of Judas, will betray me. He's going to betray me. I'm going to go to trial. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be spit on. I'm going to be slapped in the face. I'm going to get beaten to the point of death. I'm going to have a crown of thorns. And then I got to take nails in the most horrific crucifixion into my wrists and into my feet and hang on the cross. That's what lies ahead. And in that upper room, he's telling his disciples what is coming ahead of him and telling them, you got to love one another. And you know what the disciples are doing? You would think, you got to pay attention. Jesus is going to tell you he's dying. 
But you know what they're doing instead? Luke records this for us. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Are you kidding me? Your rabbi, Jesus, for the last three years is telling you he's going to die, and you're trying to argue who's the greatest, who's the greatest. Now, holy imagination, time out again from Scripture. If I was Jesus, I don't know about you, I would want to throat punch these guys. (laughs) I'm sure Jesus probably did it because he was perfect. I understand that. But these guys would anger me. Like, I'm literally telling you I'm going to die, and you guys are arguing about who's the greatest, and then it becomes a lesson for them. Jesus is going to flip this entire idea of great on its head. He goes in and says this, but among you, it's going to be different. The world says this, I'm going to tell you this. The world says this, but our faith will go this direction. And this is what he says. Those who are the greatest among you should take the, what are these two words, friends? The lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. I wonder if that moment, the disciples' minds were just blown. Because you know what our world and culture today tells us? Get to the top and climb on everyone while you're going up. And what does Jesus say? All right, be great. You want to be great? Become the lowest ranked. Oh, by the way, we want leaders to rise up. You want to be a leader? Start serving people. Three quick points of how you and I can develop a, a, a servant's heart. Number one. True greatness begins with a humble heart. You have to allow humility to enter in. In other words, lower yourself enough to elevate others. And that's hard. You and I were never designed for greatness. You know what you and I were designed for? To reflect the greatness of God. And that's the difference. My life verse, one of my theme life verses, I love this, is John 3.30. In fact, this is John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, saying this. And it reads this way. He, Jesus, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Other translations say, he must increase and I must decrease. It will always be about the greatness of God, and I have to humble myself to elevate God and elevate um, others. True greatness begins with a humble heart. Okay, Ryan, how do I I get a humble heart? Because I'm not humble yet. A humble heart is formed by serving others. Oh, I don't like this one. I don't like this one. I'm not good at this one. But let 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 me take you down the road for a minute. You can serve and be extremely faithful and dependent and honorable. But hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Without having a humble heart, you are not a servant. You're just a volunteer. Well, Pastor Ryan, I don't like what, what you just said because I, I volunteer all sorts of places. I volunteer here and there. And are you telling me that I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a humble heart because you told me I'm volunteering? Hang in there for a minute. Let me take you down a road. You go after church to a restaurant. You choose. We'll go together. And as long as you pay, we'll go together. No, we'll go together. And then 
What's going to happen is that we're going to get a waiter or a waitress, right, to serve us. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you want a volunteer to serve you or do you want a server serving you? Hang in there. If you're married, wives, do you want your husband to volunteer to meet your needs or do you want a husband who will serve you to meet your needs? Husbands, same with your wives. Do you want a wife to volunteer? Okay, I'll just do it. Or do you want her to come alongside of you lovingly and serve you? There's a difference. Do you see that? If you have kids, right now, Radiant Kids Ministry is happening. As you dropped it off, you entrusted our team with background checks and everything to minister to your child, your grandkid, your niece and nephew, right? So let me ask you a question. Do you want just volunteers back there volunteering their time to watch your kids? Or do you want and trust those people back there to serve your kids well right now? Because it's a matter of the heart. Humility is at the center of the heart of the servant. Elevating others above yourself. Now hang in with me just for a moment. And get this. Volunteering is what you do. Humility deals with who you are. The issue is we define ourselves by what we do, don't we? Our success, our achievements, our progress in this world, that's how we define ourselves. Never define yourself by what you do. We always define ourselves by who we are, and we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are part of his. You are a daughter. You are a son of the King of Kings. That is who you are, not by what you do, but who you are. That's why we don't define ourselves by volunteering. It's humility. It's dealing with the heart. That is why here at this church, at Radiant Life, you never hear us call you a volunteer. Not volunteers, but we have change makers. Why? Because change maker is who you are. You are making a difference as you do the work, the doing, the volunteering. But this is who you are. You're a change maker. You're making a difference. And now I'm going to enter into a moment of humility that I, I'm going to be really humble for a moment. Can you be humble and say that you're going to be humble? It's an oxymoron. But here we go. Let me give you an example in church world. And this is not a message trying to get you and convict you to serve in the church. It's not. In the church world, do you know what they say? In the first seven minutes of a visitor experiencing your church, they have already formulated in their mind if they're coming back or not. The first seven minutes. Do you know what happens in the first seven minutes? They're not on, I'm not on stage yet. The lead pastor hasn't brought God's word yet. They haven't heard my creativity, my humor, and craziness. It, it's, it's very humbling. <laughs> They've already made a decision before they ever hear me. What's in the first seven minutes? Maybe we get through a song. What happens if they come 15 minutes early? They haven't even heard a song yet. You know why you change makers are so important? 
those that are in the parking lot, to the door greeters, to those that are in the lobby, to the check-in, to the worship attendants, to the cafe, to the kids' ministry, to everywhere that's happening. They will meet you before they most likely meet a pastor. What you do matters. How you serve them matters. And my advice and encouragement to all you change makers is elevate God, then elevate others above you. And they'll get a glimpse into heaven by the way you interact with them. You are more important than I am. Think about that. You are. They'll interact with you. That unchurched person that came in here today interacted with you way before they ever even just heard me. You matter. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they matter. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I guess you matter. All right, that was mean. I'm sorry. All right, a humble heart is formed by serving. You know what's incredible is that when you serve, you'll start finding your fulfillment. I promise you this. I love what Pastor Dennis Rausch, he's been a pastor for almost 50 years in full-time ministry. Here's what he says about serving. We will serve others with humility and wisdom only to the extent we are amazed that Jesus has served us. Are you amazed that Jesus, the King of Kings, stepped out of heaven and humbled himself as a servant to serve you as he was dying on that cross for you? When we're amazed at that, we will gladly go serve other people. And which leads to the last point. As we give ourselves away serving, we will be fulfilled. I know that's a little bit of an oxymoron because for some of us, we sit there and go, you know what, I'm only fulfilled when I receive things. Like, that feels good, right? How, how do pouring myself out, how is that fulfillment, right? Some of you love receiving gifts, right? How many of you love receiving a gift? A couple. How many of you are just really good at gift giving? Like, you're a giver, gift giver. Good, good, right? It feels good, doesn't it? Um, some of you are really bad at giving gifts. Like, I don't think your nephew or your grandchild needs another pair of socks and underwear from you may think of another gift by now, all right? But some, we, we feel loved, right, that way sometimes when we receive. God's word says it is better to give than to receive. It's a paradox. So how do we, because when you give yourself away, you're looking more like Jesus. I promise you it's a fulfillment. You will be fulfilled by two things. You will either be fulfilled by the world or the word. And you know what the world screams at you? Go be somebody. Go ahead, climb to the top. Go be someone. You know what the word says, though? To be somebody, you have to be nobody. You know what the world screams at you? This, the world has an identity crisis. It's got an identity crisis. The world screams, look on the inside to find who you are. Be true to yourself. Time out. Never be true to yourself. You have a sinful nature. If you're true to yourself, then you're being true to sin. Be true to Jesus Christ and only him alone. Then you'll figure out your identity because it will fall underneath Jesus. Come on, that's preaching right there. Don't be true to yourself. Ah, just go find out. No, I find out who I am by kneeling before the cross to say, Jesus, I'm yours. That's my identity. Not go figure out, mm, mm, mm. 
So the world screams that. Go look at yourself. Go find yourself. You know what the word says? Here's what the word says. In order to find yourself, lose yourself. Oh. You know what the, wor- the world says? The world instructs you, go be strong. You know what the word says? In your weakness, Jesus is made strong. Oh. You know what's crazy too? Parents, zero to 18, what do we teach our kids at home? Go be dependent, right? Some of us are a little too excited when they turn 18. We're like, see ya. Not paying for that anymore. We love you still. I may be there close to it. But what's interesting is parenting, zero to 18, independence, be independent, be independent. What does our faith say? Total dependency on God. It's no wonder why an 18-year-old sits there and goes, I don't know what to do. The church is saying be dependent. My parents are saying independent. Ah! It's crazy. I don't know where that's coming from. Anyways, the world. The world says keep rising to the top. The top is where you want to be. Highlights everything. You know what the word says? The word says in order for you to increase, you must decrease and allow God to increase. Something will fill you. The world or the word. You want a heart of a servant. True greatness begins with a humble heart. Others first. You want to develop a humble heart? Start serving. And you start serving and pouring yourself out, you'll find fulfillment in your life. And you may look and say, Ryan, those are three great points. Thank you. Where do I start? Three words. Look around you. Start in your home. Start serving your spouse better. Start looking at your kids and serving your kids. Start looking at if you have a roommate. Serve your roommate. If there's any kids in here, I dare you to do the dishes today. (laughs) Your parents' mind will go, wash their car this afternoon, rub their feet, Get a massage. <laughs> All right. no, we're getting greedy now, parents. Relax. <laughs> but serve. Serve around you. Look in your family first. Go to work tomorrow morning. And that coworker, how can you serve them better? Even the boss that you may not like. Or your clients, how can I serve you better? Start just right around you. Then look in your community. Maybe your neighbor needs something. Start with your neighbors. Start with your neighborhood then and get a little bit larger. Start with the community that you live in. This week, I'm going to make an announcement either on Tuesday or Thursday on Facebook, and then it'll be on social media, on ways Radiant Life are going to engage our community. And we're going to have a couple serving opportunities to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So hang in for those. Wait for this week to come out. But I'm going to be honest with you. It's going to be the posture of your heart when it comes to serving. Because we could get a project from the city and the city say, hey, Ryan, I want Radiant Life if they're willing to go to every park in Sturgis and pick up every stick. Okay. And if if I went to the church and I said, guys, we got a serving opportunity to serve those that work for the city as well as every family that's going to go to a park and have fun. We're going to pick up sticks. 
And what are most of you going to do? Yeah. Oh. Sticks. Like we played pickup sticks as a kid. Like it's a game. I was... And honestly, we may get five, ten people. That church of 800, five, ten people show up. But I wondered if I said, guys, there's a neighborhood of four to five homes that need restoration. And you know what we get to do? We get to go in, clean up the yard, get on the mower, mow, clean it up. We get to go in and even knock down some walls and paint the inside and outside. You know what, what? We even get to humbly serve and donate our money and refurnish these homes. And we're gonna transform that block in that neighborhood. It's gonna be awesome. You know what I think we'll get? 50, 60 people. Why? Because that project is a lot sexier than that other project. Why do we say that though? Because serving is a matter of the heart. I will stoop as low as I can to elevate you. Will I bless a family that's going to come out and play in this playground? Absolutely. I will gladly stoop low and grab a stick. Even though as I hold this stick, I may never be thanked. But I know in my heart, that's what Jesus would have done. It's a matter of the heart. And when you and I stoop that low and elevate God and others above us, you'll begin to live like Jesus. And that's what this series is about. Taking one step closer to looking like Jesus. But what you and I got to do is to begin to have the heart of a servant. So I close with this. I think every disciple of Jesus asks this almost every day they wake up. And it's this question I'm encouraging you to ask this week. Where can I serve and be used by you, God? Use me. Help me elevate you and others above me. Because I think and truly believe that's one of the greatest ways to show Jesus' love to this unbelieving world. is to go... How can I serve you? Because you matter to God and you'll matter to me.